Um, we're in Acts chapter 10, but we're going to take a, just before we get there, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. One of them is a timeline. And I'll ask you to open to Galatians chapter 1 before we go to Acts chapter 10. Because as you'll recall from last week, for those of you who were here last week, we, uh, we were in Acts chapter 9. The end of Acts chapter 9, we saw um, uh, Peter healing Aeneas in Lydda, and then going to Joppa for the sake of Dorcas, whose uh, Hebrew or Aramaic name is Tabitha. And, uh, and uh, right before that, we saw in Acts chapter 9 the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Um, so in Galatians chapter one, as you know, it's one of the prison four prison four prison epistles: Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Paul writes them from writes from Rome, and I just want to, uh, for us to read together a portion from Galatians uh, to give us a little bit of a timeline. Because though the Galatians is inspired by the Holy, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ministering through Paul, but he gives us a little background and some history. And as he was in Damascus, he, Paul in Galatians fills in some details for when he was ministering, after he was saved, um, we, oh, I read it from the, uh, in my English Standard Version, it says that, uh, um, verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So Ananias in Acts chapter 9 ministered to him, laid hands on him, the blindness that he had in encountering Jesus Christ. Now he's converted because though it was one verse, verse 12 I believe it was, that he preaches, you know, the Lord Jesus has healed you, you know, and then he was baptized. He more than likely shared with him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right there, just in the one verse or between the lines. Um, because as we've already found out from Acts cha- beginning in Acts chapter 1, you know, and many more things, Acts chapter 2, and many more things did Peter expound upon them when the gospel was preached and those souls were saved on the day of Pentecost. And so uh, now Paul says, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So he was, some people say he was in Arabia for um, uh, three years. But altogether the timeline of him going down to Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and then coming back to um, Jeru- or coming back to Damascus, that whole time frame is three years before he goes to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. Um, uh, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, verse 18. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I uh, write unto you, behold, uh, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, uh, Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. This would be, uh, Cilicia would be the area where uh, Tarsus is, and, uh, and it's in the overall region of Syria. 
But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Then, chapter 2, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Titus um, uh, comes along uh, in his first missionary journey, so we have a timeline now of about 14 years before he goes to Jerusalem after their first missionary journey, and then they minister in Jerusalem how they have gone to the churches of the Gentiles. To the Jews first, but then also to the Greeks. Because Paul uh, does a very practical thing in his first missionary journey, and I know we're getting very, uh, I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, uh, but because the Jews know the Scripture, as he says in Romans chapter 2, What profit is it then to be a Jew? Much in every way, because they were given the oracles of God, it says. So they have the scriptures. If a Jew is converted, as Paul was, they already have the background, because as I've mentioned for the last two weeks before this, the only scriptures that proclaim Jesus Christ is the Old Testament at this particular point. The first letter is going to be written by James in about 45 to 47 AD. Now, drawing your attention to the timeline, I have that question mark there, 37, 38 A.D., at the end of the timeline just below the map on the right-hand side. Um, it's, it's somewhat questionable. You have to keep in mind that when I went to Bible college, it was 30 years ago, but just before I met Lisa. It was 30 years ago. I had the time. I actually had the time as a Navy diver and, I, and, and as a uh, one who is saved, has been saved for five years, I seem to have a lot more time to study. I, uh, in fact, my Bible college, it was a two-year curriculum that I challenged and did it in nine months, and that was 30 years ago. The timelines that I create, uh, that I have even now, are from my studies 30 years ago, so they might be a little bit off. I know the scriptures a little bit better than I do now, but I haven't reconfigured them um, with you know, having read through the Bible 35 times, you know, each year. So I might be off a little bit. Uh, but one thing I, I, I am fairly certain of, like 99% sure of, is that Jesus was crucified in 32 AD because it fits with a publication uh, by, as I've mentioned before, it fits with a publication uh, written by Sir Robert Anderson in 1895 as a uh, Scotland Yard detective and as a, you know, as a Christian scholar whom even Spurgeon uh, uh, admired, uh, he was a contemporary of uh, Charles Spurgeon. He, di- he died in, I think, the early 1900s or late 18, like 1898 or something like that. Um, but um, he figured, taking the calculation of Daniel's 70 weeks and the announcement, um, the announcement of uh, Artaxerxes, or is it? Uh, the announcement in Nehemiah to build the wall and, um, and the streets of Jerusalem and calculated um, uh, recognizing the, the lunar calendar of the Jews, he calculated that to the very day of the 69 and a half weeks that Christ was crucified on March 6, 32 AD, which happens to be a Wednesday, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and and, and that fits. We know that Jesus was crucified on Wednesday and not a Friday because 
Uh, the women in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, couldn't have bought spices if it was Friday because the next day was sat- uh, sat- the Sabbath. And then Sunday, before it was dark, was when the women went to the tomb. So the only day, and also fulfilling Jesus' words exactly, three days and three nights, in the heart of the earth, so shall the sun, uh, uh, three days and three nights, as Jonah was in the belly of the big fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, misunderstanding of the, because uh, the Thursday would have been a holy day, a Sabbath, because it's the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. The only day they could buy spices is Friday, and then there's the regular weekly Sabbath. A lot of Sabbaths for the Jews. And so that's the only one I'm certain of, because it fits with, um, it fits with his being exactly 30 years of age when he starts his ministry in 28 AD, because it was the 15th year of Tiberius. Tiberius was Caesar, uh, was the Caesar in 14, uh, 14 AD, as we see here. Tiberius was 14 AD to 37 AD. That was the reign of his, uh, of his being Caesar. And if it was in Luke chapter 3, if it was the 15th year of Tiberius, it would be, you add 14 years, and that's 28 AD. Um, however, I'll put this caveat there. The, even Wednesday is not as important as knowing he was crucified and resurrected on the first day of the week. Because had it been so important that we should know that those particular details, the apostles would have written it in the New Testament. But they didn't. Like Christmas, we realize that Jesus was born in September, October, Feast of Tabernacles, because it fulfills the scriptures. And um, it's like those little nuances. Luke chapter 3 says Jesus was about 30 years old, and we've covered that. Uh, he's exactly 30 years old because that's when ministry starts, according to Leviticus and Numbers, for the priesthood, and he's our great high priest. But he's about 30 years old because he's eternal. He is very God. And so it's no mistake that you know the Holy Spirit wasn't going, oh, well, I, you know, he's about 30 years old, I forgot. I don't know how old he is, you know, you know that's so, so long ago. No, he's exactly 30 years old, but he's about, so that it gives us an indication that Jesus is very an eternal God. And so I wanted to bring that to you in, in the timelines. And, and, um, and uh, interestingly, like I said, 30 years ago when I was in the Navy as a deep sea diver and, and going to Bible college before I met my lovely time-consuming wife, and I mean that in the best way, hon. My time was made up, caught up. I was going to go, before I met Lisa, I was going to go to flight school. I had ground school that I was going to get, uh, be able to, uh, I got the certificate and I was going to get all my ground school free and then just rent the plane in Subic Bay in Philippines and learn to fly. But other things happened. I met her and all my time was consumed with courting her, and, uh, which is a good thing. And she's not saying anything, so I've embarrassed her and embarrassed me. I'll be having to cut a lot of firewood to live in the doghouse this week. So, <laughs> in Acts chapter 10. So if I've made a mistake on the timeline there, uh, please forgive me. Um, uh, the, the dates are fairly historical, histor- historically documented as far as the Romans. <coughs> And um, as far as the Romans go, so uh, those are um, those will be helpful for you. Now, in Acts chapter ten, 
it, in verse 1, That pregnant pauses for, I hear pages turning, so I want to make sure that you're there. Don't stop turning unless you're there, sister. Oh, okay. You got questions are already arising in the, <laughs> in the peanut gallery. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now, this is somewhat interesting, and if you backtrack to the providence, a backtrack within the verses to the providence of God, you know, Peter finds himself in Lydda. If you look at the map, he finds himself in Lydda um, healing Aeneas. Then he has to go to Joppa. Now he's already on the coast. He's just a little bit closer so that this thing is already set up. He's closer to Caesarea on the coast. Also giving you an idea of what we had mentioned concerning the persecution of the Jews. Remember that that Jesus being crucified by the, the hand at the hand of the Romans because capital punishment had been uh, taken away. Oh, Brother Willie, last week you asked, uh, Brother Willie, last week you asked about um, approximately when was it that the Romans uh, took the scepter of the uh, took the scepter of the Jews? There was a um, there was a governor before Pontius Pilate called Caponius, and that was seven. Uh, he he took the. Uh, he took the seat of the governor in Judea in 6 AD. In 7, he took away capital punishment. He, took, he, he declared martial law, and he was the authority. And 7 AD was when the priests marched around Jerusalem weeping that the scepter had been taken from Judah and Shiloh hadn't come. So I appreciate that question, um, and so we have a time frame, too, of when they they wept at 7 AD but there was a there was a being born in 2 BC we have a uh, an 8 year old that uh was living in Nazareth at the time the Lord Jesus Christ so Shiloh had come the Messiah had come and so uh I don't know why I was there. So in a devout, he was a devout man. Oh, uh, what I, well, the reason I mentioned it is that the Roman cohort, with him being um, a, a high-ranking Roman officer, being in Caesarea, it really fits in with the timeline that we've already looked at within the book of Acts for, church, for our church history um, scheme, is that, um, that the Roman contingent was not in Jerusalem at the time of Stephen Stoning. They were in Caesarea. There was a larger contingent of Romans, probably a small contingent in Jerusalem, but here the rebellious Jews are starting to take back capital punishment, so Stephen is stoned. Paul, Saul of Tarsus is sent out um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Idumea, Perea, all that area surrounding, uh, surrounding Jerusalem and persecuting the church, and then finally gets letters to go up to Damascus and and uh, that's where his conversion is because basically the Roman um, the uh, uh, Marullus is the prefect of Judea probably uh, under Caesar Caligula and possibly even Marcellus before that in 36 A.D. It was they probably moved their capital at Caesarea, which would make sense um, commerce-wise because they're at a major seaport in that area. Caesarea was a major seaport of that area. Why not have the governor there instead of Jerusalem? 
So um, he was a devout man and one that feared God in verse 2 in all his house, which gave him alms, which uh, gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming uh, into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and verse uh, 4, it says, And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up uh, for a memorial before God. And in verse 5, And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, he lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel uh, which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants uh, and a devout soldier of them uh, that, waited, that wait on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So he has two servants of the household and also one of his own, one of his own soldiers uh, for protection purposes, etc., and sends them off. He is their escort and sends them off to Joppa uh, to the south to get Simon uh, Peter. Once again, we see that this is the typical method of evangelism for salvation. Uh, uh, we've, we've already seen the dynamic in Acts chapter 2 with a large group and the pro- proclamation, uh, the uh, open-air preaching. But under individual salvation, um, it continues to be this, that though someone would receive a vision or a, you know, uh, some, some supernatural event, it is, the, the gospel is proclaimed by redeemed men. Uh, the gospel is pro- proclaimed by redeemed sinners. Um, I put men in there, but they're, you know, women, you could share the gospel most certainly. But it's redeemed sinners proclaiming the gospel. This is the usual and typical way for the salvation uh, to go forth. There are exceptions. We'll talk about that as the Lord allows. Um, and I did mention one of them last week. Um, that uh, um, just to bring uh, bring that a little bit more around to uh, an understanding. There was a missionary that had come when I was in Alabama, a missionary who was in um, deep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. Um, he ministered, in, and, but he also ministered in Indonesia. They learned the Indonesian language. They were learning the different dialects of the different tribes where they were uh, in Papua New Guinea. But when they were in Indonesia, they were finding that Muslims, because Indonesia, uh, outside of uh, you know the Middle East and and uh, you know Saudi Arabia and so forth in those countries, uh, Indonesia is the largest population of Muslims outside of the Middle East, uh, huge population of Muslims, and there were Muslims that were coming to them that were saying we were seeing visions of Jesus, and then they would describe, you know, this long-haired. Uh, long-haired, you know, red-headed Irishman or something like that, that they would describe these things. And he says, we know that that's probably, those are those pictures that they've seen in tradition. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that does not nature itself uh, tell us that it is a shame for man to have long hair. Jesus didn't have long hair. Uh, Look at the the coins of that time, like the Roman Caesars. They didn't have long long hair. The only men that had long hair in that day were... were, uh, were effeminates, um, you know, the, um, the temple prostitute, male temple prostitutes. They're the, the 
you know, desiring to look like women. They're the only ones with long hair. And even the Nazarites didn't have much long hair because Paul's coming from, you know, as a Jew, saying it's a shame unto them. When you have a vow on you and you can't keep your vow, your hair is long, that's a shame. When you make a vow unto the Lord, the Nazarite vow of Numbers chapter 6, you need to fulfill that vow. And so uh, uh, John probably had a little bit longer hair as far as for his, because he was a Nazarite from the womb. Uh, No razor shall come upon his head until they, um, the only razor that came upon his head was when they beheaded him. So he probably had, um, probably had long hair. And so as far as for, uh, um, how did I get off on that rabbit trail? (laughs) At any rate, this is the usual and typical way for um, uh, for evangel. Oh, that's what it was to to give you this idea. So they would describe this person and and uh, describe this person that they saw a vision of Jesus. And I said, we always point them back to the Word. And it is always the, that though they have a vision, as far as that wrong that that's their idea, and that's still in their own conscience because they've seen pictures and that's who they think it is. But Show, bring them back to Scripture. Show them what Scripture is and show them who the Christ of Scripture is so that you may uh, evangelize according to the Word. You know, sola scriptura. This is our authority. Uh, even Paul, Peter said in Second Peter, he says, though we have seen, we have actually seen Jesus transfigured on the mount. And the voice, we heard the voice of God above that says, this is my beloved son, hear him. But he says, well, we have the more sure word of prophecy. We have the certain word of scripture. This is our authority. And today, worse than probably any time in history, churches are getting away from um, sola scriptura. Scripture alone, our authority. Um, but you know it's been over. It's been 400 years since the Reformation, and so uh, excuse me, 500 years since the Reformation and the cry of sola scriptura within that time frame. Sure, we are going to fall away from it. Uh, you know, the Pharisees were the back to the Bible group. Get back to Scripture. Get back to what is uh, the true revelation of God. Um, then they started around their their sect came up around 150 A.D. By the time Jesus came and the word incarnate was in front of them, they denied him because the word didn't, uh, their traditions trumped their authority, uh, trumped the authority of scripture by the time, you know, 150 years had passed. So the typical method um, uh, for the gospel to go forth is that though visions may come, it's the uh, though the supernatural may affect our situation and circumstances, uh, God is ordained, uh, Christ is ordained, um, the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel from the word through redeemed sinners. So in, um, any questions or comments so far? Wow, I've only covered those verses. Let's get to this. Let's get to this vision now. Uh, verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and they drew nigh into the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's noon when Peter goes up and pray. And a lot of the houses, they still have them in Israel today where um, it's basically a porch up there with a little shell or a banister around it made of stone or, or, or whatnot. And, you know, there would be stairs sometimes on the outside, uh, most of the time on the outside, but sometimes on the inside. And then they would go up there and, and just, uh, you know, bask in the sun. So Peter was up there praying. 
And he, it says that he, uh, he had become very hungry because it's noon and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw, in verse 11, and saw heaven and, uh, open, saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. It wasn't, it wasn't a great sheet. It wasn't a big sheet. It was like a big sheet. So we don't know what it was, but as it came down, it came down before him and inside it says in verse 12, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat, in verse 13 and verse 14. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Peter has a habit of doing that. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Remember uh, that in Matthew chapter 16, I said Peter has a habit of doing that. Matthew chapter uh, 16, after he comes with that wonderful revelation from the Father, because uh, uh, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto, unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Then a few verses later, it says at that time, he says, don't tell anybody. You know, he says some other things too, but he says, at that time, Jesus began to, to teach them what he would suffer in Jerusalem at the hands of the chief priests and elders and so forth, that he would go to the, that he would be killed, and then on the third day he'd rise again. So obviously Peter didn't hear that he would rise again. He heard that he would, be, he would suffer, and he would be beaten, and that he would be killed. And he says, he starts rebuking the Lord, not so, Lord. And remember the rebuke that Jesus gave to him, get behind me, Satan, for you savor the things that be of men and not the things that be of God. He rebukes him with the same rebuke that he gave to Satan in the wilderness. You know, get, get behind me, Satan. You know, thou shalt worship the Lord God and him alone shall you, him alone shall you serve. And now he's doing it again. How could you call him Lord and say not so? No, Lord. No, Lord is an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> Lord says something, yes, yea, and amen. You know, it's just that simple. But Peter, again, but that should be an encouragement to you because doesn't our flesh rise? It opposes the gospel, and often our flesh will go against that which we know is the word of the Lord. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God has, has cleansed, don't call common. That call not thou common. Don't call it unclean. Uh, and this was done thrice, three times he saw, sees this. The vessel was received up again unto heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what his vision, what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men uh, which were sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. Take a little pause there, talk about the unclean beast. Obviously, uh, the, the references to Leviticus chapter 11, the dietary laws of the Jews. Um, they have the certain animals that could be eaten and certain animals that couldn't be eaten. Now, Peter is given this because here the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles now, and this is figurative of that which he's going to be able to proclaim the gospel. Now, though he is, as we see in Scripture, that Paul is given the uh, Galatians, in fact, is where Paul mentions that in particular, that Peter is given the apostleship 
that, that he, he becomes a significant figure as the apostle to the Jews, whereas Paul is the significant figure as the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, obviously, Barnabas has a, an apostleship as well, because Peter men, uh, Paul mentions that uh, too, as far as, you know, there's not just, there are the twelve and their apostles, but there are certainly in that day there were more apostles uh, as well. Paul would make a 13th because they chose um, uh, Matthias, Matthias Matthi- I'm trying to pronounce it in English the way that you read it, Matthias, um, they chose him as the lot fell on him to fulfill fill Judas's spot. So now here's Paul, who's 13, but Barnabas was, uh, as well, and he mentions other apostles um, within this regard. They're sent. Um, but um, we have, um, and so Peter is going to be primary in bringing forth, you know, so that we, the Jews understand that it was because it was Peter that brought it forth, uh, and and uh, that they understand that yeah, this is fulfilling what Jesus said in Acts chapter one that the that they will proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Possibly, their thinking at that time was, well, the Jews are dispersed, so we're going to you know this is the next logical step and conclusion for our Jewish belief that the gospel's for the Jews. But as we know from Scripture, that, that, uh, that the precedent for all, the gospel for all, goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And Paul makes that point over and over again. The Levitical law, the dietary law, it serves another, pur- uh, we see another purpose in it. And he says, you know, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Uh, in Galatians, Peter is actually rebuked for, because he's eating with the Gentiles, He's eating uh, probably Gentile food, possibly pork. Um, you know, I eat bacon, so it's fine. But then when the brothers came from Jerusalem, Paul rebuked him to his face because he started withdrawing and it became a stumbling block for those who were in Antioch and it even caused Barnabas to withdraw too. And he rebuked those brothers because of what, they were, what was going on there. Um, is the law done away with? Because he says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. You know, you're, you, he's telling them, in a sense, in one, in one sense, break the law. But it, I don't believe, you know, because uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures, that word abolish is, you know, um, in Hebrew, where it says the Old Covenant has been abolished. The Old Testament scriptures haven't been abolished. The Old Covenant has. And um, and so when you get an idea of what's going on there, and we won't cover that, we certainly won't cover it today because we're at the end of our time, but I did want to bring this up. You know, the, there's certain definitions for those dietary laws. For example, that a cloven hoof and chewing the cud of beef and sheep and goats um, that are outlined in Leviticus 11, they serve also a spiritual purpose, that there are Here's the word for you, good word, dichotomy. There are two truths that are happening at the same time. Um, and uh, Bunyan brings this out in the Pilgrim's Progress, if you, some of you recall the Pilgrim's Progress, when faithful and, and, uh, and, and Christian were on their journey just before they got to Vanity Fair. Uh, they encounter this person called Talkative. 
I call him Chatty Chaz. So talkative, he talks up the belief of Christianity. He has, uh, but, 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 but uh, Christian says, no, I knew him from the city of destruction. This guy, he, he talks a good game, but he doesn't, be, he doesn't have a uh, experiential knowledge. He hasn't been saved. He's not regenerate. His, his actions prove that he is, there's no fruit in his life. And we all know that. And, and, and Faithful says, it reminds me of what Moses said concerning the clean and unclean animals, that one must chew the cud, but also split the hoof. Uh, a pig uh, doesn't chew the cud, but it has, though it has a cloven hoof. And a rabbit chews a cud, but it doesn't have, uh, uh, it doesn't have a cloven hoof. It has to have both. You know, there are those conf- uh, professors of faith. You know, Lord, Lord, the Lord, Lord crowd of Matthew chapter 7, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did we not do many mighty works? They weren't regenerate. There wasn't, it did not come from their, you know, they had a confession of faith. We did, and, and then they, oh, they did works too. There were those that did works. Uh, and there are people that are more pious, more holy than me. And you. There are people that are living a life that is so morally straight but if they don't have a confession of Christ, it doesn't matter in the end. They must have both. You must have, uh, as Romans says in chapter 9, that there must be a, a uh, confession from the mouth, but also a condition of the heart. Both of those things must exist. You could live a holy life, your actions. Your actions could be a holy life, a moral life, but if it doesn't have, uh, if it doesn't have Christ, it's nothing. Holiness, apart from the ministry of reconciliation, we're being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, means nothing um, unless both exist. And that's the truth of the gospel. We, uh, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, the, the sal- salvation ends up working as a band-aid on a bullet hole. We want to get somebody's life fixed with no confession of faith, or we want them to make that confession with no change of life. That, the, that it's something that we have done rather than the Holy Spirit ministering unto those because of the preached word, because of our obedience unto God to proclaim the word, teach the word, or share the word, because it's a real thing in our lives, then the Holy Spirit does the work. All we need to do is introduce them to Jesus. And that's a, a particular failure. A, another thing on the dietary laws that I might point out just before we close is that um, they're still useful. You know, there's a book that was written some years ago, 30, 40 years. I don't remember how long ago. I read it briefly years ago. and I don't even remember how much of it was uh, that I've forgotten. But it was a book called None of These Diseases, written by a guy named S.I. McMillan, an M.D., a doctor. And he takes biblically, uh, the, like the dietary laws or things about stress and so forth that are in the scriptures, don't be anxious for anything or, you know, be careful for nothing. Um, and he makes a case for these things are healthy. And that if you follow the dietary laws, you'd probably live long upon uh, the earth. He, he actually takes uh, the title from Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. It says, none of these, you know, you know if you keep my commandments, God says, and, 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 and do uh, these things that I have commanded you, none of these diseases will come to you. Speaking of the, you know, the plagues upon Egypt and so forth. 
And, and there are Jews, since the Gospels for all kindred, people, kindreds, tongues, tribes, and nations, the Jews aren't excluded. So as they continue to keep the dietary law, that they'll, uh, by God's grace, as we minister the Gospel to them, that they may be saved and see the spiritual truth behind it. So there you go. Uh, any questions or comments? Sorry, I took it way too long, but it's a fellowship meal day. So, um, Any uh, 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 questions or comments? All right. Well, um, let me close it in prayer. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, for the scriptures, we pray, Father, that you'll minister unto us the, uh, the blessings of the book of Acts and uh, that we would uh, understand uh, the church history a, a little bit more, a little bit better, uh, that we may exalt Christ and glorify you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we do pray. Amen.